0: you are listening to church at the oaks podcast where we exist to send disciple makers of jesus by being disciple makers of jesus for more information about our church such as services upcoming events or how to join a group please visit us at churchattheoaks.com uh, this morning we're going to be in luke chapter 2 like i told you earlier so you've got a copy of god's word love for you to go there and uh we started to like praying about what to what to walk through like this ne- next book to take our church through, we landed on the book of Luke. And immediately I was like, all right, but we, it, we just did Christmas, you know, and then we're going to get to Luke two and it's Christmas again. And we're going to end up doing Christmas, like in the middle of February and everybody in the office is like, who cares? Just to do Christmas again. So this is Christmas 2.0, all right. And so um, a lot of our church is not in town around Christmas, and so you didn't hear anything we said about Christmas anyway. So this is this is going to be this is going to be going to be new for you. It's going to be great. But I mean, I started thinking about this as I was wrestling with this passage, trying to figure out what what it is that God's saying specifically uh, in our context through this, these these verses of the story of Jesus' birth. I was I was thinking about that, and, and you know, Luke didn't write. Luke didn't write Luke 2. He didn't include it where he put it uh, to, to support a holiday, right? He didn't, he didn't put it there. He didn't, that's not a part of his flow. He didn't come out and say to the Theophilus, like, hey, I'm writing these things so you can know with certainty the things that you've been taught. And then be like, all right, also I need to tell you the Christmas story, all right? That's not what Luke was trying to do. Luke has, has a very intentional point that he's, he's, he's put together these things. He says, I've researched this stuff. I've sought out answers. I've, I've done the work. And Theophilus, I'm telling you what I've found so that you can have some certainty about the things that you've heard about. And so he goes, walks through this, and as he's building this case, he gets to the point of of just Jesus being born and tells the story with this insane amount of detail, includes things that aren't included anywhere else. Again, that's because Luke went and did the research. He's talking to people, getting firsthand accounts of what happened, and he's putting it together, and he's like, this is essential for you to know, all right? If you're gonna know, and you're, know with certainty the things you've been taught, if you're gonna know with certainty this, this Jesus, be able to put your faith and trust and hope in him and follow him for this life and into eternity, you gotta know this. And what's crazy is that buried in, in, in this story that all of us are so familiar with, like everybody on the planet knows the, the you know, I'm not everybody on the planet, everybody here at least, knows the, the general gist of, of the story of Luke 2. What's insane to me is that buried in the middle of this is, is this very short very clear statement that encapsulates the fullness of the gospel in like four or five words, and he stuck it right in the middle of this story. There's some, there's some essential things that you and I've got to know that we've got to hang on to, that we've got to grasp tightly if we're going to know and follow Jesus well and that are, that are found in this story. And so I recognize, because it's the same, same thing for me, I recognize that when we come up to Luke 2 and we're reading, reading about Jesus and mangers and shepherds and stuff, you're like, immediately Santa Claus is in there, like the songs start playing in your head. You're like, man, I miss Christmas music. Like that, that is going to happen to you. You got to fight, all right? Because Luke didn't put this in here for you to celebrate Christmas. Luke put this in here for you to know and follow Jesus well. All right? And so we're going to take this apart with hopefully new and fresh eyes. So put as much effort as you can into looking at this like you, like you would be Theophilus, the guy this book was written to. And he's saying this, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I've done this research. This is what you need to know. And like just one chapter in, we get to this story. Why? What in here is so essential for you and me to know? All right. So in particular, there's this one phrase, this one, these one words. We're going to get to it in a minute. But um, this is how Luke begins the story. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says this. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and everybody went to be registered, each to his own town. And so Joseph, he also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, Uh uh-oh, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and it says she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. All right, so last week we talked about these promises that that God had made through these angels. One was to Zechariah, and he didn't super believe it, and the other one was to Mary, and she did. She just had some questions about the practicality of how this was going to go down, right? And so we're seeing already the fulfillment of these promises that Luke is showing us preceded the birth of Jesus, there's evidence there. He's saying like this was promised, like I've talked to him, like this was this was the way that God said it was gonna happen and then it's happening exactly the way that he said it was going to in the fulfillment of prophecy and the fulfillment of his promise to Mary. There is so much happening just in those few verses, but that's not where I want our focus to be this morning. That's just the beginning of the night. God had come in the most humble of ways. It's this beautiful picture of the humility and the majesty of of Jesus and the way that He's gonna live his life is exemplified in, these, in the way he was born. But that's not where I want us to focus. The night was just getting started. And so if this was playing out like a movie or something, right, there would be this, this birth scene, but then the camera would zoom out and pan over to just right outside the city where these, these shepherds are, are, are gathered. And so in verse 8 it says this. It says in the same region there were some shepherds out in the field, and they were doing what they do, keeping watch over their flock by night. So night's come. Everything had kind of settled down. The sun has gone down. The shepherds have all like brought their sheep in together, and they've kind of got them all together. The sheep are settling in for the night. They, and there's like that one crazy one's not running off right now. It's like we're settled in. The shepherds finally get to sit down, finally get to rest a minute. Maybe try to get a little bit of a fire going. It's that calm time in the evening, right? Which doesn't happen at my house anymore because I have kids, right? But like that calm time, right? Right before every, every, there's nothing to do, there's nothing to worry about right now. It's just peaceful. Until it, until it wasn't out of never, out of nowhere, like everything goes absolutely crazy. Verse nine it says, "And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, out of just nowhere. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shines around them, and it says that they're filled with great fear. Of course, they're filled with great fear, right? I mean, I'd be terrified. I'm sitting out there camping, got my sheep having a good time, talking to my my friend, you know, Bill or whatever, the shepherd, and we're just we're just kind of relaxing there together. And all of a sudden, like there's an angel, and the glory of the Lord, which probably pretty bright, right? In the middle of, a, middle of the dead of night, right? Just shines all around us. It's not coming from anywhere in particular. It's just everywhere there's this, this light. And then there's this figure, there's this person just standing there in the middle of it. And of course they're terrified. The sheep are probably freaking out. Everything's going nuts, right? And then this figure speaks, which I don't know if that's better or worse, right? Verse 10 says, the angel said, like spoke to them, fear not, good luck. For behold, I bring you good news, of great joy. That'll be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. I love what the angel says. It's very specific, like very well thought out. He's not just winging it right now. He says, listen, I'm bringing you good news. Because at this point, if you're one of those shepherds, that's debatable, right? You, the world might be ending. You don't know. You don't have any idea how this could possibly be happening, right? There's this. There's got to be filled with fear. And so he says, hey, this is, I'm, I, I'm not here to crush you. It's, it's okay. I bring you good news. And what he's going to talk about is that, is that, the Savior's come, right? And so what that means is like from the very beginning, the very first words uttered about Jesus in this, in this world, like, like was that he was coming as good news. Say, I'm bringing you good news and it, it tells him about a person. I'm bringing you good news, but I'm gonna tell you about a person. The person exemplifies the good news. The good news and the person are not separate. There's a person who represents, who is like tangibly good news. And he says, it's for of great joy. Good news of great joy that's going to be for all the people. This one who has been born over in the city of Bethlehem is the embodiment of good news of great joy that's going to be for all people. I'm not just giving you a message. I'm telling you about a person. When we come into church every week in here, if you're in a tribe, you're in a huddle, when you open up your, your copy of God's word, you're not reading a story. You're not reading a message or an idea. You're not reading like some things, some good thoughts and there was some, some nice self-help things in there, some good guiding principles for life. And it's, it's, it's a great story. It's a great news. No, you're reading about a person. You can't separate the person from the message. The message is embodied in the person. He is the message. So as I'm bringing you good news of great joy it's gonna be for all the people and it's basically it's like his name is Jesus. It's him, right? It's embodied in this person of Jesus. When you interact with Christianity, if you approach it like you're, like you're working against and working with and trying to evaluate an idea, you can pick apart an idea. You can take pieces of an idea that you like and you can drop some pieces of an idea that you don't like. You can take parts of the message and remove them from the rest of it. And you can kind of build your own idea. Like, okay, I like your idea, but I like my version of it better. And you can, you can iterate on a concept, right? But if it's a person, you can't iterate on a person. You know what I'm saying? You can't be like, okay, well, I I like this part of him, but I'm going to reject that part of him. I like this of what he said, but I don't like that part. You can't do that. It's just because the message is embodied in the person of Jesus, everything just hangs upon him. What he did, what he says, what the word says about him. Like it's just all about the person. You You can't mess with and massage Jesus. It's him. So he says, I bring you good news of great joy. It's going to be for all the people. It's, it's talking about Tim. He said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. It doesn't just say a Savior, though. This is this phrase I'm talking about that is just staggering in its complexity, staggering in its weight. The angel says, unto you is born this day in the city of David. Let's look at what he says. It says a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So if you've got a copy of, of the Bible this morning, or even if you have a an app or whatever, like you need to highlight, underline or circle or something that, that piece where it says a savior who is Christ, the Lord. And here's why this is the only time in scripture that, that it's lined out, it's spelled out this clearly. We're just so plain, so obvious. All three like titles of Jesus are tied together in this one little phrase. And it's like all of it, the savior, the Christ, that means the promised Messiah. That's what Christ is, the, the, the promised one. From of old, like from Genesis 3, like the promised one, the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord. All those things wrapped up in this one sentence. And it wasn't spoken to the theologians. It wasn't spoken to the disciples. It wasn't spoken to anybody else. It wasn't spoken to the king. It was spoken to some shepherds out in the field. The angel made it perfectly and plainly clear. The, the entirety of who this, who this kid was to some shepherds. It's the full truth that all of us are trying to figure out. The whole world tries to figure out that the disciples had to figure out. Like all the full truth of it is just laid out to the lowliest of people. These shepherds out in the field, people like, shepherds weren't, like shepherds couldn't give testimony in court because everybody just assumed they were a bunch of liars. Like shepherds couldn't, couldn't come into the temple. They couldn't participate in, in religious life. And like, they were the lowliest of the lowly people. And it's to those kind of people that the plain message of the identity of Jesus was revealed. If you came in this morning and you're like, like, I don't, I'm feeling a little bit low. I don't think I got a lot going on. I'm not sure this guy would even be interested in me, even if he was real. I don't like coming in here with all these people. All these people kind of look like they've got their life together. My life's not together. I don't, I don't, I don't even like being around this many people who, seemingly got it going on. I don't want to like that. I talk to people like, a lot like that. that. That's one of their hangups with church. It's, it feels like it shines a light on your insecurities and your weaknesses. I get that. The truth is everybody else around you feels the exact same way, but regardless, like these are the people, these are the people that the message is delivered to the lowliest of the lowly in society. And if it's worth being delivered to them, it's worth being delivered to you. So I don't know what you think about yourself, what you think other people around you think of you, but you're not outside the bounds of this message. So all three of these phrases are stacked up right here. The, the, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. So when he says this, that, that Jesus is the Savior, that's important for you to understand. Like he says, these are the three things, like these are the three titles that, that this child is going to have. That's important for us to kind of at least have a, a a pretty good grasp of what those are. The interesting thing about it is you walk through all three of them. It, one of them is going to hit you harder than the rest. One of, one of them for me, like when I was going through it, I know which one of these was, was the one that made me stop, made me think kind of gasp a little bit inside and be like, what does that actually practically mean for me right now? All right. I'm not going to tell you what mine is. Cause I want you to think about yours. So the first thing he says that he's, there's this, a savior and Jesus is, is the savior. So the idea there is that you need a savior which is a concept that all of us have to get to a point that we accept and understand, right? And that, what that means is that I'm, I'm broken. Like Madeline talked about, like I have, I have a broken heart. Like there's some things in me that are broken, that are sinful, that break the heart of God and consistently break the heart of God. And that, 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 that sin in my life is something that I can't overcome. I can't take away the, the terrible things that I've done, the sin in my life, by doing a bunch of good things. They still stand. There's something that has to happen. I need somebody to come in and take care of the stuff that I've done to break the heart of God that separated me from him. Cause he's holy and perfect and I'm far from holy and perfect, right? And so if I'm gonna have a relationship with him and he's gotta be, he's holy, I can't, I need, I need some way, something to happen external to me to fix what I've done. I need to be rescued. That's the idea of Romans three twenty three. It says that all of us have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. The gospel's offensive. The the story of Jesus, like the the point of Christianity is offensive to every single one of us without limit. It's just all of us collectively, individually have fallen short of the glory of God because we're all sinful people. That's your state. That's my state. I like to think that I'm a pretty decent person compared to a holy and perfect God. I'm not a decent person. Neither are you. All right. That's what it means. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God. 623, Romans 623, those that keeps going, it says that there's punishment for that. There's, there's consequence for that. It says the wages of sin is death. But there's a free gift of God. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What that's saying is that, that, that sin in my life, that sin in your life, that there's a consequence for that. There's a way, like there's a punishment that has to be paid somehow, some way by somebody for this, this brokenness in us, this sinfulness in us. And so apart from the Lord, apart from Christ, like that, that weight is going to be mine. That punishment is going to be mine. It's going to be my price to pay. And it says, but there's this free gift. There's this free gift of eternal life, a relationship with God, a, a reconciliation, a redemption that can happen there in Christ Jesus, the Lord. When it says that Jesus is the Savior, what that, what that, it, it says something about you and it says something about him. What it says about you is that you need a savior because you are sinful and broken. I don't know if you agree with me on that or not. I, I know it to be completely and wholly true of myself. So maybe you, maybe you think you've got it going on. I, I know I don't. That's what it says about me. It says that I need a savior, that I'm the guy out there at sea with no hope of rescue. I need something external to come and get me, forgive me, like take me up, right? And so that's what it says, is that there's this free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. So as as broken and simple people, we need forgiveness, we need rescue, we need redemption. It has to come from somewhere else. The only place it possibly could was from the one who is holy, so has sent his son to do what I couldn't do for myself. So when he died on that cross for me, he paid my price, he paid your price. So when I trust him as my savior, that's that word right there. When I trust him as my savior, what I'm saying is that I've I've entrusted that he died for my sin, that I believe that 2000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross and rose from her grave defeating my sin, removing it from me so that I'm forgiven. Like when the Lord looks at me, like what scripture says is that he remembers my sin no more. He scatters it as far as East is from West. That's Jesus is my savior. So I ask you, like, have, have you, have you done that? Have you, have you let Jesus be your savior? Have you asked him to save you? Because he died on the cross, it's done. Like he rose from the grave, it's over. He's done that. That work is accomplished. That free gift has been offered to you, but you have to, you have to say yes to the gift. If I mail you a present and you never open it, it has no impact on your day. You have to accept the gift. So have you, have you accepted the gift? He says, this one that's gonna be born over here, this, this baby boy is born, he's gonna be the savior. It's 2,000 years later, we're still having to deal with what to do with this person who is the savior. Have you trusted Jesus as your savior? That's the first thing he says. He goes on, though. He says he's also the Christ. That means the the Messiah, the promised one, where God repeatedly across the Old Testament is promising that this one was going to come who was going to rectify what's been broken. This this promise was going to be fulfilled. God's ultimate promise for us was going to be bound up in in this this Christ. So Christians, uh, Christians are people who trust promises, maybe not from each other, right? We talked about that last week. We've got to come to a point where we can trust the promise from the Lord. And the promise is that God actually loves us enough to come for us. That's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. Now, we, we, we have to come to a point where we believe in that promise. We don't, we, we don't just know that the promise was there, but we have, like, trusted that these kind of promises, that God actually loves us, that he's actually there, that he hasn't given up on us. He came, didn't have to, wasn't fair of him to take my, my sin on himself, but like he, in love, chose to do that for me. Like that, that's, that's the promise that we have trust through. And it's kind of fitting we are going through this on Valentine's Day, right? This is like that you can talk about love in terms of infatuation, um, but this is like true and lasting love isn't an infatuation. It's not marked by flowers from 1-800-Flowers and funny memes of, people on the office saying they love each other. Like that's, that's not, that's not like true and lasting and abiding love. True and lasting love is self-sacrificing. It's intentional. And so when this, when, when, the word talks about how God has promised that he loves us so much that he would send his son for us, we come to a point where we have to trust that promise. So when we say that he's our savior, we're saying he's taken away our sin. When we say that he's our Christ, that he's, he's the Christ, we're saying that we're trusting in the promise. And then when it says that he's the Lord, that means a lot. When he says that he's not just our savior, he's not just the one that takes away our sin, but he's also now our Lord. That means that he's God in flesh, like king of kings and like Lord of lords. He is above all, even for me and you. So when we say that, that he's our Lord, it means that he's not just the savior, he's not just the Messiah, he's also the Lord. He's the one that we follow. That's what, that's what it means when we say that he's, he's our Lord. Like, so when I remember when uh, my little boy Ezra um, was getting to the point where he wanted to trust Christ and, and be, be saved, right? And he, we talked through the whole sin thing and the cross thing, and we talked about that forever. And he's been reading his little Bible and working through all this stuff. And he's like, no, I believe he did that. I believe that he died on the cross for me. I wanna be a Christian. I'm like, listen, dude, like, can't be a Christian yet until you like, decide that he's also gonna be your Lord. And he was pretty young. And I'm like, I don't know if you're old enough to decide that you're gonna follow Jesus as your Lord for the rest of your life. This dictates everything, every other decision, like everything else that you choose to do with your life hangs on whether Jesus is your Lord or you are your Lord. And I wanna know that you can make that choice, that you can decide this is who I'm gonna be, this is who I'm gonna follow. I'm not gonna follow myself, I'm gonna follow him. And there came a point when when Ezra was sitting in his bed one night and we we're talking about this and I was like, yeah, man, when you come to the point when you decide that you're gonna follow Jesus with your life, like this is how, what that would mean. Like that would mean there's some things that you don't do and some things you do because of you're following him instead. And he's like, yeah, I already did that. It's like real cocky, like real like arrogant about it. Like, yeah, I already did that. Like, be quiet, old man, you know, that kind of feel. And I didn't take that great. Uh, And I was like, no, dude, we've talked about this. Like we, you know, the whole thing said the whole thing again. He's like, no, you told me that if I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and that I decide that I'm gonna follow him with my life, that makes me a Christian and I've done that. And I was like, okay, Um, you know, that's, that's different. Have you trusted Christ as your savior and your Lord? Or have you just said, hey, I, I, Jesus, I want you to take away my sin. I'm cool with you down on the cross for me. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with you taking away and redeeming me and, and forgiving me. But as far as this lordship bit, I don't know. I kinda like being Lord of my life. I kinda like dictating who I date. I like, kinda like dictating my career and where I work. I kinda like dictating what I do with my weekends and what I do with my lifestyle and the areas of sin that I wanna get to hang on to. I kinda like being in charge of all of that. And I don't really need your input on that because I've got this whole lordship thing covered. I talk to a lot of people who when they say I've trusted Christ and my savior I'm a Christian that's what they mean we start pressing into these lordship issues there's not a lot of lordship in Jesus. We're not dealing with an idea. We're not dealing with just some kind of message and some concepts where you can take some pieces of it and and let go of some others and I'm like okay I I like the salvation bit and the forgiveness part but this lordship thing I don't really like that part. You're dealing with a person and if he's If if he's able to forgive you for your sin, if that means that he's the son of God, that he is holy and perfect and actually lived a life of perfection in your place, actually died on a cross, actually rose from the grave again, and you're telling me like he's not worth following with your life, that doesn't make any sense. Like if if he's capable of taking away your sin, then that means that it's God in flesh. Like, spoke the universe into like john one he upholds the universe by the word of his power in him and by him all things were created that have been created that hint that all things were created in and through the person of jesus and he's not lord he's he's not he's not big enough to be lord of your life he's not big enough to dictate what goes on and he's not big enough for you to follow you're gonna follow you're gonna follow yourself you're a better lord than he is that's hard like that's where I find myself a lot of times where I'm sitting here evaluating how I think and how I act, not what I say. Man, I, I can say all the right stuff, right? And you, you can, if you're Christians in the room, you know, you, you get the right answer, right? As far as evaluating what I'm thinking and what I'm saying, when I, when I'm, yes, I'm, I'm confident and I'm sure about the savior piece. Then I look at the way I'm living my life and sometimes that lordship piece isn't really clear. I look at a certain area of my life that seems to be falling apart and I start evaluating, is Jesus actually Lord of that, of that section right now or am I trying to hold the weight? Am I trying to bear up under it? Am I trying to be in charge and direct and guide things? And a lot of times I'm in charge. So he showed, the angel shows up to these shepherds and he says, listen, I've got good news of great joy that's gonna be for all the people. There's this one who was just born over there. He's gonna be the savior. He's gonna take away your sin. It's gonna be incredible. He's he's the Christ. He's the Messiah, the one that was promised from long ago. He's going to behold every promise of the Lord. It's going to be found in him. It's going to be incredible. And he's going to to be the Lord of your life, so no longer are you and your finite, tiny bit of wisdom going to be the one directing the course of your life and guiding, and you you can find hope and assurance and direction in him. Jesus being Lord of your life is good news of great joy. The scary bit is when he's not, when I'm left in charge. It's good news that I have a savior. It's good news that I've got a Christ. It's good news that I've got a Lord that's outside of me. Which one of those is hardest for you this morning? Which one of those is the sticking point for you? We're like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that he is a savior. I'm not sure that this happened. Great, that's your sticking point. So there's some, some work to be done there to press in and figure that out. Do you actually believe that he is the savior, that sin can be taken away through Jesus? Do you believe that, do you believe that he's, the, he's the fulfillment of all this promise of God, that, that God actually loves us? Do you believe that there's a God there? That's found in that Christ piece. Maybe you don't. Maybe there's some work that you've got to do in that section. But for a lot of the Christians in the room, a lot of your work is going to be found in this Lordship piece. Where where are you Lord of your life instead of him? That's something you got to work on on your own. I can't help you with that. Angels keep going. I said, listen, all that, all of that, the Savior Christ and King and all of that was just born in a manger over in Bethlehem. Uh, pretty, pretty great. That's kind of it. Verse 12 says, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Just for free. What does it say to you that the angel um, had to give these shepherds proof? He says, this will be a sign. He's like, I, you may not believe me, but there's a sign. I'm going to give it to you. All right. What does it mean to you that the angel pointed them to proof? Is that significant for you? Like that angel's not like, hey, you should just believe this because I said so. I am an angel and the glory of the Lord is shining around us right now, but that's not enough. Like there's, there's proof in the person of Jesus. This entire series, I want you to see that Luke and the other biblical writers, they aren't trying to sell you a story. These are real people. Luke was a real person, just as intelligent as you, who just had access to the people that he's writing about and got to put together this account so that you and I could have certainty about the things that we've heard. The problem is, is that very few of us just actually read deeply what they wrote. I, I remember the first time I read through one of the gospels on my own. It was embarrassingly late in life as a Christian. I, I, I could tell you a lot of stories about Jesus, but I hadn't sat there and read deeply what he said and what he did on my own. We're not, these, these writers aren't trying to show, sell you a, a tale. They're trying to tell you about a person. All right, so he says, all this, you're gonna find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And he says, all of, this is, all of this evidence, all of this magnificence that I'm telling you about is wrapped up in some cloths over in a horse trough, which we're gonna baptize people in a horse trough, which I think is fitting for the day, right? Like there's, that's, it's not a tale. He has been born and he's wrapped up over there and you can go like see him. You're not dealing with what you think about an idea. You're not dealing with what you think about a religious system or something. You have to come to a point where you have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus. Not somebody's ideas about him. What are you going to do with the person of Jesus? All that is to be written, the entirety of the weight of our salvation, the whole gospel is centered on the person and work of Jesus. It's not centered on someone's story. It's not centered on empty words. It's not centered on some unfounded confidence that we just kind of come up with, it's got to, it all hangs upon him. You have to decide, you have to come to a point where you figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. The angels, um, they can't really contain themselves anymore. The news is just too good. And so they break out in this full out angel party up in the sky, which sounds like worship is supposed to be like, a little bit, right? And so verse 13, it says, suddenly there was with the angel this multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Angels are high-fiving each other up in the sky. The, sky, stand, the shepherds are just standing there dumbstruck, like, I don't know what is happening right now. It's just angel party going on and shepherds just like, I hope they don't kill me. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's gotta be a terrifying moment, right? The shepherds, they get it. The angel party kind of comes to an end the last one out he's like "Woo!" like high five somebody and then silence again and they're just standing there like okay in light of that what do I do you ever feel like that maybe you've been around church your whole life maybe you've been around maybe your family was uh believers maybe you've been like drugged to church a bunch and like you hear some of this stuff but you're like All right, what do I what do I do with this I'm happy that you like told me some stories and like you got a tale or whatever, right? Like, what am I supposed to do with it? That's what just happened to these guys. They're standing there. They've been told some incredible news that some some huge claims have been like thrown out there about this baby they don't know, right? And so now they've got to decide what they're going to do with it. And what they do is a beautiful picture. It's a great picture, great model for what you and I are supposed to do with it as well. So verse 15 through 20 shows us what to do with the good news. First, they sought out Jesus. Verse 15 says this. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds looked at each other and they're like, all right, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They didn't sit around for a minute. They didn't sit around for three months or six months or three years. They didn't sit around and wait. It says they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger they sought out jesus they heard the story they heard the message they heard the claims and they they pressed in they sought out truth they wanted to see that sign they're like all right let's see i'll evaluate this I'll, i'll press in i'm gonna hurry i'm gonna i'm gonna do the work to figure out if what that crazy angel light bulb thing said was actually real that's your first step you got to seek out Jesus. That's, this reminds me of Jeremiah 29, 13. I love one of my favorite verses. It says, you will seek me and find me when? has the implication of only when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Sometimes I talk to people who aren't believers yet, and we sit down and have a conversation, and they're like kind of telling them about the deal. I'm like, okay, so I I've heard some stuff, and I'm just not really sure where I stand." And so one of the first things I'll ask is like, okay, so tell me about how you've been trying to figure this out. Like, what have you been doing? I, t- so I can kind of jump in and the flow of it and help. And a lot of times, by the time they get to me and want to talk to somebody about that, there are a lot of work has taken place. But every once in a while, I'll get somebody and they're like, you know, I just haven't, I haven't really spent much time on it. I just, I, just, I don't know, it's kind of heard some stuff, but I don't know. There's, a, there's an apathy there that's the only dangerous place for you to be. If you're not a Christian right now, and you're in the room, you're like, I don't, I don't totally know what's going on. The only dangerous place for you to be is in a place of apathy. That's the place I'm most scared for you. If you're moving towards Jesus and you're doing the work to try to figure that out, yeah, do that work. I want you to come to a point where you know that you know that you know. The only place that I really can't support you, I really can't back you up, is when you're like, I don't know. I just kind of don't really care. This is something you've, you've, you've got to care about. So when it says, when you seek me with all your heart, now my, my prayer for you, and my prayer for myself, every single one of us is that if we want to know and follow the person of Jesus well, deeply, we want to like, know him like we know him. we've got to be people that seek him out with all our heart. Have you been doing that? Have you been seeking him with all your heart? Have you been seeking him when it's convenient? Have you Have been seeking him when somebody else seeks him for you and just tells you about it? Are you seeking him with all your heart? So the first thing we got to do, we got to seek him out. Second, <laughs> once they came to know, They showed up, there's a baby, just like like a promise. I mean, they they knew, like this was true, this was real. Second, they shared what they knew. The second thing these shepherds did, they shared what they knew. Verse 17, it says, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And everybody who heard it, they wondered at what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. They just made known what they'd heard. Listen, Christians, do you have a story of what God's done in your life? Do you have a story of, of like, like Madeline's story, do you have a story of what God's done in you? When you came to a point where you trusted Jesus and he brought you out of some things and brought you into a relationship with him and the goodness and the joy of that, like, do you have a story of what God's done in you? Maybe it's got some bumps in the road, okay, mine does too, right? But do you have a story of what God's done in your life? Have you heard the message of good news of great joy that's up for all people? Have you internalized the gospel? If you have, like, that's not something you can keep to yourself. That's not something that just gets to be just for you. Praise God that somebody gave that to you, like, shared that with you, opened up the word with you. Praise God that happened for you. It's not intended to end with you. That's why I read the Great Commission every Sunday together saying "Like, you are sent to do the exact same work for somebody else. This is not something we keep to ourselves. You gotta share what you know intentionally even when it feels weird even when it's a little bit awkward like you got to share what you know in the most loving and compassionate ways that you possibly can for people who haven't got it figured out yet who still have big questions just like you used to we got to be people that share what we know this week i talked with one of our students just kind of randomly gave one of y'all a call and uh, got on the phone I'm like, hey man how's how's everything going what's been what's been going on and uh, just kind of getting an update and I'm expecting, you know, okay, classes are fine and blah, 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 whatever, you know, just normal stuff. Like actually, it's been a pretty good day. I got to share the gospel with like two different people today. And I was like, this is the best phone call I've had all week. This is great. You know, like, tell me about it. So we're sitting there talking about how I just got to share the gospel through two just normal circumstances, share what Christ has done in his life, just share the story. That's who we are. What better thing do we have, a Christian's like, "What, what better thing do we have to talk about than like, the joy and the goodness of Christ that saves us for this life and for eternity. What, what else must we be talking about? They share what they knew. Finally, Lassus says they praise God for what they for for what He. Well, I have messed that up really bad. Finally, they praised God for what He'd done. Verse twenty says, "All the shepherds they returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told them." I love that they they just head back to their context, their spot, their place they're supposed to be, praising God, glorifying him for all that they heard and seen. There's supposed to be something in the life of Christians where there's a wonder at the person of Jesus. I don't ever want to lose the wonder of the gospel I don't, ever, I don't ever want the insanity of what God did for somebody as jacked up as me to be lost on me. I don't ever want that to become commonplace. And so when I come into places like this or even my own times of worship by myself where it just feels empty and bored. And sometimes, I'm gonna be honest with you, sometimes I get, I get dry spirits the same as you do and I do, but I just hate that when I lose the wonder of the gospel. I wanna be like these guys, like walking back to their context, just glorifying and praising God for all that they'd seen and heard about this kid this Messiah, this Savior, this Lord. It, 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 that should drive us in worship. Like when we come to, I was standing over there a second ago before I came before the, uh, before I did this, right? And I was, just, I could, I was in front of you, right? And we're singing that song and like, I can hear you. This is like roar of people just praising God to go. It should be rowdy in here. Amen? Like it should be a little rowdy in here. Like full out angel party rowdy is not like 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 a group of believers getting together to worship the King King of Lord and Lords who like died on the cross and rose from the grave and like saved them from all them, themselves like that should not be a a boring experience. That is not a time to to like just button up and and just pretend like there is no joy in the good news. This is this is a celebration of the fact that a bunch of broken shattered, lost people have been saved by him. And so we come into places like this, even our own times of worship, there's supposed to be a joy to this. Every aspect of our lives should be impacted as we just offer ourselves as living sacrifices, which Romans 12 says is our spiritual worship. So that's what happened. That's how this goes down. Luke starts out and he says, listen, I want you to know certain of the things that you've seen and, and heard, right? And so here's the, here's the primary thing you need to know. That this night, these angels showed up and told the lowliest people on the planet, right, that this, this baby was going to be not only the Savior, not only the Savior and the Messiah, but also the Savior and Messiah and the Lord. And if we would trust ourselves to that, it would change everything. This is Luke's thesis statement. Everything hangs on those few words. So I'm asking you, have you trusted him as your savior? Have you let him take away your sin? Have you trusted him as as the Christ, as the Messiah, the one who fulfills all the promises of God, that, that love, that intentionality for the Lord for you? Have you trusted him as Christ? Have you trusted him as Lord? Lord over every area of your life, not you, but him. Our band's gonna come, they're gonna lead us in a time of response and. As they do that, man, I just want you to get to consider that. Why don't you consider the response of the shepherds? Oh, they, they, they sought out Jesus. They didn't just sit there and say, okay, it's nice, it's cute, thanks for sharing. Like, they, they sought out Jesus. Are you doing that? The only place you don't need to be is in a place of apathy. Like, have you sought out Jesus? And they got up and they went and shared what they heard. And they went back to their context, praising God for everything. So we're gonna, we're gonna praise God for what he's done right here in, in this moment together. But there's some of you who have things that need to be dealt with before you can do that well, right? And so we got a prayer team over there in the back and they're, they're there to be with you and just pray with you and help you think through some things. And that's why they're there, all right? And so if you've got questions about any of this, honestly, but specifically like, hey, I've, I've, I'm not really sure about this savior piece. Go talk to them about that. If you want to say, hey, listen, like, I, I want to follow him as Lord, I, but there's some areas I know, there's this one specific area that I haven't trusted him and things are gone haywire. Can you help? Can you pray for me that I would trust him as Lord in this specific area? They'd love for you to pray with you about that. So every week there's like people that are stacking up over there, just having people get to pray over them and listen to them and talk through things with them. That time's for you. So in second, when I stand you up and let the band lead you, that's your time to make your way back over there with you. Because... Following Jesus is supposed to be done in community. Just to have some people around you. You're not supposed to do this by yourself. So go get some people around you. Have you trusted Him as Savior? Are you following Him as the Christ? Are you following Him as Lord? I want to pray for you, and our band's going to lead us. Father, um, I, I never want to lose the wonder of the gospel. I never want the insanity of what you've done for me to grow dim, and be lost on me. God, I, I recognize for all of us in this place that we, we're at we're a bunch of different places before you. There's some of us who, God, we've, we've put our faith in you, but sometimes we slide in some areas and that Lordship piece gets messy. God, convict us of that. Remind us of who you are. And that is good news of great joy that you are our Lord. Help us line up behind you and follow you hard. God, I wanna pray for others of us in the room who still have big questions, still trying to figure this out. We can't trust you as Savior yet. We can't trust you as Christ or Lord yet because we've got some big questions. God, I pray. That you put people around those folks to help answer questions. I pray that by your spirit, even right now, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would you would do a work in them, that they would know that, you, that you're there just so profoundly that there would be no more question. I pray that you'd call them yourself right now. Right there where they sit and trust you as their savior and Gotta pray for those of us in the room who we just need somebody to pray with us. We need somebody to just talk with for a second. And pray that you'd give us the boldness to, to step out and go do that. And lean in. Lord, we want to respond like the shepherds. Glorifying and praising you for all the things that we've seen and heard of you. God, you are good. You are mighty. You are loving. You are passionate. Like you, you, you are you're our savior. You're our key. And so God, as our band leads, help us, to, help us to worship like that's true. Help us worship in light of who you are. Send your sons in and pray.